0: Father, we thank you that angels have proclaimed the glory of your Son and that by faith he comes to live in our hearts. We thank you, Father, that you forgive all who repent and believe of their sins. You cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as we look into your word today, may these truths be self-evident to us. Um, by your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, take your copy of God's Word and join me in Luke 17 as we get back to fulfilling Luke's purpose for writing this book, which is that the lover of God, which hopefully we all love God, uh, that the lover of God might know the exact truth about the things we've been taught. We see that in chapter 1. And those truths are specifically about Jesus He is the focus of this book. He is the focus of history. He is the focus of all eternity. We're going to read verses 11 through 19 this morning, which tell us about another interesting occurrence in the life and ministry of Christ. This is what it says. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Well, as we've traversed this gospel according to Luke, we've seen Jesus traversing the villages and towns of Judea. Uh, In these last months before he would go to the cross, he has said a lot about what it means to be his, what it means to be saved, what it means to be his disciple. You have to basically come to him and repent of your self-righteousness. You have to realize there's nothing in yourself worthy of saving and there's no collection of things that you could do to earn it. You have to come to him completely, depending completely upon him And it may cost you everything on this earth, but we gain everything when we give it all to him anyway. Well, he is worth that. And the reward for that is eternity in the presence and the blessings of God. The penalty for not doing that, of course, is what we read about in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus in chapter 16, which is the fire, the the judgment. We spent a couple of weeks, uh, last week excluded, we spent a couple of weeks in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 17. And I, I hope that you were challenged and convicted by that, as I was, about the nature and the necessity of forgiveness in the Christian life. We all have to realize, beloved, that if we are saved, we are unworthy slaves, and forgiveness is part of our duty. As Christ has forgiven others, we are to forgive as Christ has forgiven us, rather, we are to forgive others. It's like breathing for the Christian to forgive, at least it is supposed to be. Well, on the hills of that, we we come to what we just read. And along Jesus' way to the cross, we find him doing some things besides laying out what it means to be his disciple. And one of those things is miracles. We see him performing miracles. So far, he has performed three, and this is the fourth on this road to Jerusalem that Luke is recording. Now, he probably did very many more. Uh, John, the end of John tells us that the whole world could not be filled if we were to write down everything Jesus did while he was on this earth. But uh, we've focused on three, now four, miracles that Jesus did. And the purpose of those miracles was when, when, when you take into consideration what Jesus demands of you to be his disciple... It is reassuring to us to know that the one making the demand is God himself. And he is showing these miracles, he's performing these miracles, not only for their impact on the individuals being healed or whatever, but to show those around that he is God and we are to trust in him and his word is true. And in this trip to Jerusalem going through all these towns, we've seen him cast a demon out of a man who couldn't speak. That's in Luke 11 in luke 13 he there was a spirit in a woman who had been sick for 18 years we saw that some months ago and in luke 14 he healed a man on the sabbath and that provoked a lot of controversy as you might recall and now back in in 17 we find jesus on the way to jerusalem and this time there's an added detail passing between samaria and galilee now that when we read this in isolation may not mean a whole lot to us but when we put the four gospels together and we are able to more completely construct where jesus was when was he there it's very interesting that that detail reveals to us this was very near the end of jesus's ministry in fact if we turn a page or two in our bible we're going to see the triumphal entry and then the the last week upon this earth of christ But here he is very much toward the end of his ministry and probably after he raised Lazarus from the dead. And we read about that in John 11. So we're getting toward the end. Um, Things are coming to a head. And so as Jesus entered this particular village, he's encountered by ten leprous men. Ten leprous men. And this isn't the first time that Jesus has encountered lepers. It's not the first time that he's encountered lepers in Luke. So be reminded... That in first century Israel, there was no more fear disease. There was no more dreaded condition than to be a leper. Today, we, we, we gather our breath when we hear the word cancer or, or, or there's any other uh, number of diseases. In first century Israel, it was leprosy. And it was a terrible disease. It ranged in its impact and effect on the body. It, it, it would affect your skin. It would affect your nerves, your mucous membrane. It could disfigure your face. It would eat away at your flesh. It would cause numbness in your extremities. Um, and, and that's to say nothing of the social ramifications. Because to be a leper, there's a reason there still exists a phrase in our vernacular today of somebody being a social leper. Because to be a leper meant that you were outside of the camp. It meant in Israel that you were cut off from the assembly, that you were cut off from the community of faith, the community of believers. You were away from your family. You were away from your friends. You were away from anyone who was ceremonially clean because you were unclean. In fact, to be a leper, we read in the scriptures that you were supposed to, when somebody uh, was approaching, you would have to tear your clothes and cover your head, and scream out, unclean, unclean, to so that the other person would not risk coming so close to you that they might become unclean as a result. And if you add to that, leprosy was widely considered to be a judgment from God. Because we see in the Old Testament, there were times when it was absolutely a judgment from God. In 2 Kings, there's a prophet by the name of Elisha. He was... Uh, He was served by a man named Gehazi. We talked about Elisha a few months ago in the fellowship hall. and uh, We didn't talk so much about Gehazi, but Gehazi was a man who served Elisha but proved himself to be a very uh, greedy man. And so there came about a point in time where God judged him for his greed, and how did he judge him? With leprosy. Later on in Scripture, in 2 Chronicles 26, there's a, a king by the name of Uzziah. This is after the northern kingdom was defeated and Judah is left. And Uzziah was one of those very few kings that it said was a good king. But sometimes even the kings listed as good in Scripture acted very unfaithfully. And there came about a point in time in 2 Chronicles 26 where Uzziah was the king and he went into the temple And he burned incense. Now the problem with that is, he's a king. And he was doing the job of a priest. And he was not supposed to do that. And how did God judge him? He was a leper until the day of his death. The king was a leper. Maybe that's why the 19th century English pastor J.C. Ryle, and and, beloved, if you ever want to buy books on Scripture and the Christian life, there are very few people I'd recommend before J.C. Ryle. He was right when he wrote it is difficult to imagine a condition more miserable than leprosy. So as Jesus entered this village, ten leprous men stood at a distance and raised their voices. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And of course, we're familiar with the name Jesus. Yeshua is probably what he would have said in the Hebrew. It is... The name God saves. But the word master is an interesting word. There's a Greek word you may have heard before, kurios. And it's often translated master in the New Testament. It also happens to be translated lord many times in the New Testament. When we talk about Jesus as Lord, when we read that in the New Testament, more times than not, you're going to find some variation of that word, kurios. So it refers to Jesus many times, but it also refers to anyone who could be an earthly master. Jesus himself uses the word kurios when talking about people who may be earthly masters. Even in parables, we see that. But here, Luke uses a different word. He uses a word for master, epistates, if I can get that out. Epistates, not kurios. And It's a word that's only used in Luke. And it's a word that Luke only uses about Jesus himself. Because Jesus is a different kind of master. That word in the Greek, Lord, can refer to kind of any earthly master. Epistates refers to someone who is chief. Someone who is a commander. Someone who has very significant authority and power. And so to use this word in crying out to Jesus shows they knew of his power. These lepers knew of Jesus' power. They would have heard what he has done for other people. This was one, after all, we're getting toward the end of Jesus' ministry here. His name is not under the surf. People widely know his name by now. This is a man who traveling around Israel for three or three and a half years, something around that time, had practically eradicated disease from much of Israel. Wherever he went, he was always healing people. And so they knew Jesus had the power to heal them and have mercy, have mercy on us. They knew that they were not worthy to be relieved of their condition. Mercy, when we're talking about God, we're talking about God not giving us what we do deserve. And what do we all deserve, beloved? We all deserve eternity in the lake of fire. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God is holy, 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 and none of us comes close to that. We all fall short. We all sin. And so we're all worthy of punishment, but God gives us Mercy to all he saves. God spares us the punishment because Jesus, who here is on the long road to that cross, was the punishment for our peace, is is how Isaiah puts it. The lepers didn't understand all of that yet, of course, but they recognized Jesus was the only one who could help them. So have mercy on us, they said. They had an incurable disease, a hopeless condition, constant hopelessness, So this was a cry out to God for this Old Testament concept of chesed, this Hebrew word that we see in the Old Testament, grace, mercy, loving kindness. That's what they were crying out for. And and that only came from from Yahweh. It only came really from God himself. And it got Jesus' attention. He saw them. And he he doesn't lay hands on them like he does some other times. We actually, in Luke 5, he heals a leper, cleanses a leper, and he he lays his hand on him. He doesn't do that here because the power is not in him touching somebody. The power is through his word. And he says, be healed, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, why did he say that? He said that because... In the Old Testament law, that's what the law, that's what the law of Moses required. Leviticus 14, 13, and 14 deal a lot with leprosy, and, and the leper, when cleansed, was to go to the priest so he could be pronounced cleansed, so that he could rejoin the community. But Jesus, our great high priest, here says, Go and show yourselves to the priest. Why would he do that? First, so that they could show their obedience, both to the law of Moses and to him? W- would they do what he told them to do? That's one reason he said this. But second, they would go to the priest as a testimony of Jesus' power. They would go to these priests who at the time were rejecting Jesus and they would have to, when they saw these cleansed lepers, have to say Yes. You're cleansed. He cleansed you. They would have to validate Jesus' power. So they would become reluctant witnesses to Jesus' deity because who can do that but God? Look at verse 14 then. And as they were going, they were cleansed. You know, today on our our religious broadcasting, we sometimes see these healing services and, and stuff. I want to caution you a great deal against buying into a lot of that. What we see in Jesus is not some taking off of his jacket and waving it around. We don't see him putting out his hand and people falling to the floor. We don't see uh, special effects, no incantations, no dramatic displays. Just these lepers walking to the priest and a sudden and whole cleansing a sudden and complete removal of any trace of this disease which had plagued and infected and probably disfigured many of their bodies. So they went to the priest, but one of them, as he was going, so he was obeying Jesus, but he stops because as he was going, he sees that Jesus is the one who has healed him. And so as he walks, look at verse 15 again, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. There were ten leprous men who had cried out for mercy, and all of them had obeyed and that they had started on their way to the priest, and they all no doubt realized on the way to the priest that they'd been healed. But at this point they stopped acting as a unit because only one of them turns back. Only one. Only one of them gets it. Only one of them comprehends what has been done to him. Only one recognizes he has just been in the presence of God incarnate. And he wants more. He wants more at this point than the physical healing he's already received. He wants more and he wants all of what God can give him. So he he recognizes he, he has recognized that he's unworthy of Jesus' mercy, but now he longs for more of that mercy. And on the hills of a, a section of Scripture in which we have just been talking about Christian forgiveness, this one former leper understands he needs more than clean skin. He needs a clean heart. He realizes his need for forgiveness and to be reconciled to God. And so he does three things. This this man repenting, this man turning to Jesus does three things. First, he glorified God with a loud voice. He glorified God with a loud voice. He wasn't quiet. He didn't turn tail and and run to find a safe space. He didn't cower in a fetal position. No, he could not be restrained from praising God loudly and strongly, and maybe even for the first time in many years because... Leprosy could could do a number on your larynx and he may not have really been even able to talk at this point until Jesus cleansed him. So it could be that. Leprosy had wreaked havoc on his life and now he wanted to just bust out in praise. We are told to come boldly to the throne of grace. He was coming to where grace had just been extended him. Now, this isn't the Bible telling you you have to scream for Jesus. Okay? But we are told you are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. And we are not to hide our light under a basket or under a bushel but to, I'm going to let it shine. That, that's what Scripture tells us to do. The parable of the, the lamp tells us that. The point being... This man began to live out loud for Jesus. Are you this morning living out loud for Jesus? This former leper glorified God with a loud voice and second, he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. He glorified God with a loud voice and he went to the object of his worship and bowed down at his feet. Why would you glorify God and bow down to somebody else unless you recognize here he is in front of you? Here he is in front of you. In the Old Testament, he would know, you. you and we're going to see that he was a Samaritan, okay? But he would have known the first five books of the Old Testament. Samaritans believed in, in the Torah, the first five books. He would have known, you are to have no other gods before me. He would have known that repeated even in in Deuteronomy. And now here, his actions, he is confessing a truth that we sang about this morning. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. He fell down at Jesus' feet. Humbly, he prostrated himself before his epistates, his master. How else? Shall we come to him? How else dare we come to him but that way, beloved? Third, he gave thanks to him. He gave thanks to Jesus. The other nine men cleansed, went to the priest, didn't so much as turn around and say, Hey, Jesus, thank you. But this man, you know, he didn't, you know, the other nine, they're on their way. They're not even putting one of those signs in their yard. I got one of those signs, those thank you Jesus signs we're seeing around. What a great little reminder that is, just to thank God every day when you see it. But uh, the, these other nine didn't give thanks, but the one did. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, very simply, the, the, these words are not hard to understand, in everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, there are some things we struggle, what's the will of God for my life? There's one thing we should never struggle with the will of God for our life. In everything give thanks. It says it just like that. A heart saved by the grace of God cannot help but thank God when it is properly understanding that grace. How thankful are we today, beloved? We've just come off of Thanksgiving but thanksgiving is something we are to do all the time. The wonder of our salvation and what God has wrought in us should just drive us to thank Him nonstop. And our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, our motivations for everything we do ought to be out of thankfulness to God for what He's done through His Son, Jesus Christ. Three things this leper did And he was a Samaritan. I did mention that. He was a Samaritan. The point Luke makes there is God isn't always saving the people you think he is. And he's not always not saving the people you don't think he is. God doesn't just save people who look the part because the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. They had nothing to do with one another. I could go into some geographic details, but Jews would go around Samaria rather than cut through to go to Galilee because they did not want to be near Samaritans at all. That's how much they hated them. But they would never have expected Jesus to cleanse, much less save a Samaritan. Of course, Jesus had done that before. Luke 4 the woman at the well and Luke 4 is a Samaritan. He heals many in her village who are Samaritans. And the point Luke is making here is that God will not save you on the basis of your ethnicity. He will not save you on the basis of your nationality or on the basis of your religious background, but it is God's grace extended to individual hearts. And he is saving all kinds of people. This is what Jesus was doing and He goes on, the leper did three things. Jesus asked three questions, and they're rhetorical questions. Were there not ten cleansed? Of course, he knows the answer, and the rhetorical questions are not for the benefit of the one asking. It's for the benefit of those hearing. There were ten cleansed, weren't there, is basically what he's saying here. Question two, but the nine, where are they? Or more literally, there were nine, where are they? The point being, they weren't there anymore. They weren't near Jesus anymore. They were gone. They were on their way to the priest to get started on this process of being seen as clean again when Jesus had already made them clean. They were going back to practicing legalistic Jewish religion again, whereas this one leper was right there doing what he was supposed to be doing, which is worshiping and giving thanks to God himself. They cried out to Jesus praying. But they had no time to praise, did they? I read a quote this week, you know, I think it's true of pretty much any generation, but it's definitely true of ours. We are more ready to pray than praise, and more disposed to ask God for what we do not have than thank Him for what we do have. Maybe that's an appropriate quote to just remember around Christmas time lest we get caught up in commercialism and things like that, but but it's so true. He goes on to write, "The the widespread thanklessness of Christians is a scandal. And I agree with that 100%. It was a scandal that these nine were thankless, but one wasn't. So Jesus said, was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Again, Jesus is rubbing it in, Impressing upon the Jews observing this, and that would include his disciples, that the one who worshiped and gave thanks, who was a stranger to the covenants, is now, you know, he wouldn't have been allowed into the inner court of the temple. Do you realize that? As a Samaritan, he wouldn't have been allowed into the inner court of the temple, but here he is face to face with God incarnate. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. The cleansed leper had done the right thing by falling at Jesus' feet, worshiping the, the, the man who is God. But Jesus did what Jesus does, and he raised him up. Stand up you know you're not supposed to lift your face to the king until he tells you to. Psalm 3 is a wonderful psalm and David writes there, "You, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head." He he Jesus lifted the the leper's head. "Stand up," he commanded him. "Stand up and go." You know Jesus delivers us from our sin, but He he doesn't deliver us so that we can sit there. He delivers us so that He can deploy His disciples into the world. Stand up and go. We must obey Him if we believe in Him. And, And what is the basis for the cleansed leper being able to stand up and go? Your faith has made you well. When we think of, of being well, we usually think of not being sick. But Jesus was talking about a lot more than leprosy here. Made you well is not the, the word in the Greek for cleansed or healed. It's a Greek word, sozo. And I know I'm throwing some Greek words at you this morning, but it's because this is one is really significant, okay? In the New Testament, the word sozo is the word... For salvation, your faith has saved you. you. your faith is made. It's the word used in Matthew 121 when the angel said to Joseph, "She will bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus, for he will save so, so, his people from their sins. The theological study of salvation is called soteriology. Because the word for Savior comes from sotzo. It's soter. We know John 3.16. There's probably very few of us who couldn't quote that this morning. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And the next verse, 17. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved. Sotzo. Saved through him ten were cleansed but only one glorified God ten were cleansed but only one fell at Jesus' feet ten were cleansed but only one gives thanks and his response to Jesus shows that he had been saved those other nine you could say they represent unbelieving Israel and they did but they also represent anyone and everyone who might be a Christian in name only. May anyone and everyone who has mere superficial interest in Christ. Who, who claims the label without following the Savior. The nine were interested only in what they could get from Jesus But they weren't going to humble themselves. They weren't going to prostrate themselves before Him. They weren't going to acknowledge Him as God. They weren't going to worship Him. They might be content with common grace. What is common grace? Common grace, God shines the the sun. God gives the rain upon the just and the unjust. Both the righteous and sinners enjoy so many benefits of God. You have air to breathe. That's common grace. You'll have food to eat today. That's common grace but they were just interested in common grace. They weren't interested in saving grace. They didn't feel the need to be made well. The Samaritan did. The one who wasn't supposed to be saved did, and he was. And today, beloved, you can either be content with common grace or you can realize your need to be made well. One of those will put you in the presence of God and the blessings of God for eternity, and the other one will put you in hell. Many people, you know, it, it, it's one thing to say Jesus is master. Many people will say he's master. Many people, Jesus himself says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? That's, that's Luke, We saw that in Luke 6.46. It's one thing to say He's Master. It's quite another to embrace Him as Master. And only if you embrace Jesus as Master will He be your Soter, your Savior. May we come to Jesus this morning and be made well. Father, just as You've raised Your Son from the dead never to die again i pray this morning you might through your son compel repentant sinners to stand and go and make us well by faith help us realize father we all have a need we are all spiritually lepers disfigured by sin and it's incurable it's hopeless and we can do nothing about it apart from your grace We thank You in this Christmas season that You sent Your Son to be our Epistates, to be our Master, to be our Soter, our Savior. So cause us to turn back and glorify You and worship You and live lives which give thanks to Your name because this is Your will for all who are in Christ Jesus. And we do ask this in His name. Amen.